You'll be learning all about God and the Trinity and His eternity and all the things that I'm still wondering myself. Um, but Krista has a way with, uh, with illustrations and pictures and uh, really is... You never start them out too early, can you? Right there? Um, I think there's something about when Jesus says you have to have a faith like these. They just believe it. They read the verse or you explain the verse and they believe it. Right? They don't need to, to reason their way or, or struggle with it. And I know there are times where I wish, wish I didn't have to try and figure everything out. And I emphasize the try. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Amos. And I'll give you a couple <coughs> moments to, to find, your, find your way there. Last, last night after the concert, I'm driving home. It, uh, Amos is a, a very judgment-oriented book. Um, for me, if I was to describe it, it almost seems a little harsh uh, as you're studying it. And I'm praying as you're coming home, Lord, help us to see the grace that you continually offer to these people. Right? Help us to see the love that even in the midst of the judgment being given was there. And uh, I'm not sure how many... How many would admit to being guilty of writing down thoughts on envelopes um, when it comes. Now, this isn't my sermon. These are just thoughts after the concert last night. But um, Amos chapter 9, if you would turn there with me. We'll just read verse 11. It's kind of... Um, the, the good news is at the end of the book of Amos. Now, we know Christ is all through it, but, but the good news, the promises, the assurance for those who do have faith is at the end. It reminds us of several things. This life is temporal. Um, judgment is coming. It reminds us that we do have an eternity that's promised to us, and it's ours to take hold. But verse 11, after all the message of judgment on, on Israel and, and judgment on the nations surrounding, he, he, he concludes with this. And this is God speaking. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. If you remember the story uh, of David there dancing before the ark. Right? Dancing, dancing before the, the ark returned to, to, the, to the children of Israel. Him dancing before the presence of the Lord there. It has fallen into disrepair. And here's the promise that God will rebuild it. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they, Israel, may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by My name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. And He's about to explain the blessing. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed, the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring the captives of My people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their lands, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them. That eternal promise. Who says it? Says the Lord your God. So in the quietness after worshiping for, for over an hour last night, I wrote these thoughts down. After the first eight 
eight and a half, nine chapters of judgment, God gave Amos a glimpse of the Messiah. Right after that, that chapters of judgment on sin, God gave Amos a glimpse of the Messiah. God gave Amos the assurance for this man's faith that God would not cast off Judah completely. Right, and that takes us all through Scripture, all the way back to Genesis 49. God is given a... Oh, here we go. God is giving us a reminder for today that Christ is coming. Right? Christ is coming. This is talking about the millennial kingdom here. Christ is, Christ is coming. Christ will reign in justice and righteousness and holiness and we are going to reign with Him. Those who have placed their faith in Christ. And, and in a world when we look outside where we know things are not right, we know things are not getting better. Right? We know that things are not going to be better until He returns. Right? That, that's a, a big thing for our faith. But we have to pause when we consider all, all the chapters that go before Amos, all the chapters before this glimpse. We have to pause with the reality that not everybody reaches this place. We have to pause the reality and understand that most most people in our lives do not reach this place. And that should be heartbreaking this morning. Right? That should cause us to, to re-examine what we're doing with the Gospel. Who we're, who we're speaking with. Who we're sharing it with. God gives us an example at the end of Amos, an example of His faithfulness. Because the entire first part of the book, Israel rejects God. The entire first part of the book, Judah is rejecting God. I think of that verse, see, and, and it has to do with King, King Jotham, where um, he's trying to do what's right, the king is, and yet the people still behaved corruptly. Their hearts desired the things of the flesh. Amos is called with a harsh message for a hardened people. Right? But God doesn't leave it harsh. He, he finishes it with that glimpse. And uh, I, just, I just want us to recognize that this morning because it is a very real thing that God addresses in the book of Amos. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just as we, we begin our, our quick overview study of this book, Lord, there's no way we can get through all nine chapters, but Lord, we can grasp what You have to say this morning. We can grasp what you were saying to these people who had your word, who understood that it, was, it, it is the final authority. We can understand what you were saying and, and pleading with these people to turn. And I pray, Lord, in the midst of this morning, we would examine ourselves. We'd examine our lifestyles. In the midst of this harsh message that you have this farmer deliver, Lord, I pray that we would examine our interactions with the world around us and we understand that it make it clear that not everyone is going to enter in through that door. Not everyone is going to enter into these blessings. And we need to be moved. Moved to do our part in your kingdom. We just pray these things. I just pray your spirit would make these things clear. I pray we'd be comfortable with conversations afterwards and that you would lead and move in a mighty way this morning. We just pray these things in your precious name. Amen.
So as we step into uh, the book of Amos, the, the title, just to, through studies this week, is The Truths We Pretend Not to Know. And I know we're all guilty of it. Things that we pretend not to understand, verses that we read and we go, oh yeah, okay, well, yeah, and, and I don't know the full meaning of it, and we, we turn on. But as we step into the book of Amos, I want you to consider, prayerfully consider some things this morning. I want us to prayerfully consider the message God was delivering to His people through this man. Amos' name means burden bearer. Right? He gets a glimpse of, of, of Christ's return at the end, but he has this true burden to bear, and he's sent to God's people with a message. And in connecting that with Hebrews 11 and the prophets and the faith of the prophets, I want us to connect that with the local church this morning as well. Don't miss the application for us this morning. As we step into the book of Amos, and, and again, there's, there's a lot of overview. I don't want to... To, to get overwhelmed by this. But as we consider Amos himself, we need to realize that he was not a man sent down from heaven. Amos came from amidst his own people. Okay? Amos was called from amidst his own people. This man had a very good grasp on the spiritual condition of the world he was living in. Right? He wasn't being brought in from, from outside sources. He had a good grasp of the spiritual condition of the world that he was living in. As Amos was called out of Tekoa, out in the Judean wilderness region, he was, had a good grasp on the spiritual condition of the culture that he lived in. Right? He, had a good, he had a good grasp of the spiritual condition of the society that he lived in. Right? He, he wasn't batting around here. He wasn't pretending it wasn't what it was. He, he knew the spiritual condition. Amos knew the spiritual condition of God's people. Right? And I use that and I'm saying that differently intentionally because they were supposed to be. Israel and Judah were supposed to be God's people. <laughs> they had been given God's divine promises. They had been given. They had, they had every opportunity, but they had not taken them for his, their own. Nor were they living in them. And from that, any time that you, you see people who know the truth, who hold the truth, who hold the, the Word of God, they've had prophets, they've had godly kings, and they choose not to live that way, the conclusion they came to us, they didn't truly believe. They didn't truly believe. They just thought that they did. And we can identify with that this morning. Right? They didn't truly believe. Their lives didn't reflect that. They just thought they did. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. As we step into this, this book. Amos 1, verse 1 says, The words of Amos. We know Amos is speaking the message from God who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which is again in the Judean wilderness region, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. We've looked at that in 2 Kings 16. In the days of Jeroboam, and that's Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. When we read even just verse 1, we recognize that the Spirit of the Lord brought God's message 
brought God's words. And I'm emphasizing that this morning because the same authority that Amos speaks with is the same authority that God speaks with today as we read these things. Right? The same authority. The same Word of God that's, that, that's living and powerful. The same Word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword. The same Word of God piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. The same Word of God that came to Amos is the same one we read this morning that, that it is the division or the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As Amos brings this message before God's people who, who did not believe, they just thought they did, we know in Hebrews 4 verse 13 it says there is no creature hidden from His sight. That's what the Word of God was placed before them. But all things are naked and open before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. I'm connecting Old Testament and New Testament. The same authority of God's Word. Know this this morning. As we read these words, as the Bible is open before us, you are naked and open before the Lord. God sees what's in your heart. God knows what's in your heart. And as Amos delivered this message, it's the same as how it works this morning. It's important for us to note that as God's message came to Amos, God's words transformed this man's life. I want you to pause and think about that. God's words are not for them. Right? As I, I, I study, God's words are not for you. God's words are for me. Right? And the message comes from, from God's words for, and how it speaks. When you listen, it's not for them. It's for me. God's words transform this man's own life. When you think of who Amos is and what he's being called out, Amos is obviously one of the faithful remnants left in Israel. If you took, and as we've been reading through 2 Kings in chapter 14 to 17, is this time period here that the people of Israel, the people of Judah, are doing ghastly, horrible things. Amos is obviously one of the faithful remnants. But don't be too quick to identify with the faithful remnant. Because that's how Israel and Judah got in this state. They all thought that they were one of the faithful. They all thought they were doing what, what was right. And we'll see that in a second. That's how, that's how a generation, a culture, gets away from the Lord. They all identify with that, I am one of the faithful remnant. Amos was preaching in 760 B.C. And, and we keep looking at that Second Kings period. It's during a time of prosperity. Such a, such a time of, of blessing and wealth financially that hadn't been seen since the time of King Solomon. Right? And I know I've mentioned two or three times that the reason why Israel is so rich is because they had just gone in and fought a, a war with Judah, cleaned out the king's treasuries, and cleaned out the king, or the, God's temple. That's why Israel was so rich. And they're, and they're sitting up in the north just basking in their wealth. You remember Jonah? Me mentioning in 2 Kings 14 of Jonah prophesying to Jeroboam to expand his borders? This is what's taking place at this time. But you can picture in this comfortable scene, in this time of, of wealth and blessing, right? You can picture where they're at spiritually. 
money, wealth, idolatry, wicked thinking. And you can picture Satan at the reins leading this country straight to... You know, you know what happens in 722 B.C. where Assyria comes in and removes, removes Israel. That, that nasty word, divorce. God divorces Israel and they go into to bondage and slavery. The rich in Israel were oppressing the poor. The rich and the comfortable in Israel were not looking to God. They didn't need God. And their lives were reflecting that. If you turn to Amos chapter 7, and, and we'll get through this overview. I'm just trying to connect. We've heard, we've heard sermons from this book and just trying to tie that into to our study here. Amos chapter 7, verse 14. That's, that's one of the most common ones whenever we think of Amos. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, who's Amaziah? He's one of the religious leaders of Israel. He's a priest. And this priest, in his comfortable life, in his comfortable ways, and, and, and we'll get there, but making up their own rules, allowing, allowing their own lies to lead them astray, he's telling Amos, stop prophesying. Stop speaking for God. Just, just, just stop. Enough already. We, we don't want you to say any more on behalf of God. And we see Amos, this farmer, this vineyard tender. <laughs> I can only imagine how this conversation goes and I won't read too much into it. But Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet. You ever wonder where that saying comes from? I'm not a prophet nor the son of one. Right? I was no prophet, Amaziah. And I picture this religious leader telling him to stop speaking for God. I was no prophet, nor was I son of a prophet. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, nothing against farmers, right? I mean, I, <laughs> just a, a man, faithful remnant, spending time with God, having a heart that's listening. The Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. It should make you pause. The religious leaders don't want to hear from God. They don't have a time for God. And here is this man answering the call. The Lord said to me. Amos is given his commission. Right? And I use that word commission because he is commanded to go prophesy to Israel. He's commanded to take a message to people that are hardening their hearts and closing their ears. People who are blind, their spiritual condition before God. Amos is given his commission and his obedience leads him to be one of the most determined, bold, forward people you know. And you pause and think there that this man is given, given the message. He, he looks to God in obedience. And he goes. If you look back on Amos chapter 7, verse 8, Amos puts a plumb line before the people. Behold, I am set in a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And this should have anyone shaking in their boots. Plumb line. A measuring line. A standard that you are to measure your life up to. It's drawn. Amos places God's measuring line, his plumb line before the people, and it makes you pause to think about Israel. 
makes you pause and think about Judah. These people had the Word of God. These people had the prophets. These people had the godly kings that that tried to bring reform, that that opened up the house of the Lord. They, They did what needed to be done. These people weren't ignorant. These people had the Word of God, but they rejected God's final authority, His Word. They rejected the fact that the law of God is supposed to point out sin and direct them to repentance. The law of God is to point out sin and direct them to God. The law of God is to point out sin and direct them to the coming redemptive sacrifice who is Christ. These people had the Word of God. These people people knew. They had rejected the fact, the law of God. And these people had stopped reading. They had stopped seeing the need for the Word of God. They stopped seeing their need for the Word of God, and I'll repeat that one more time. They stopped seeing their need for the Word of God, and that's reflected in their lives. That's reflected in their generations. They stopped seeing their need for the Word of God, and that's reflected in the coming judgment that we know happens. makes you pause, and you kind of think of how times aren't much different than they were back here in 70, 60 B.C. Amos was tired, and and we'll get into chapter 2 here in a second, but Amos was tired of shaking his head at people around him. Amos was tired of shaking his head at people around him. Tired of watching the decisions being made by people who knew better and worse. You know, teachers, people like Amaziah. Teachers who who used to teach. And and, and Amos' message is stop. God's message is this is enough. These people were living in the delusion that they were spiritually okay before God. There, there, there's, there's eight and a half, nine, nine chapters here. These people were living in a delusion that they were spiritually okay before God. They didn't truly believe. They just thought they did. These people were living according to their own rules. These people were going to hell thinking, thinking they were okay. Uh, It's harsh, but it's the reality of it. It's the truth. It's the biblical truth. These people, these nations were going to hell thinking that they were one of God's chosen, thinking they were one of God's beloved. Amos chapter 2, verse 4. We'll just begin... Um, as we step into this is a, 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 a judgment. He's just went through all the, the different nations around. And if you've read it, you're probably wondering um, why he's going around all the nations around Israel and Judah. And, and I had it explained. It's almost like a target. God's going to pass judgment on all the surrounding nations, but it's coming into a target right on Israel. Right, right in the, the center of it. The people who know better, who have the Word of God, who are rejecting the law of God, who, who think that they're spiritually okay. And it makes you pause. Amos 2 verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord. And really, then is the same as now. If you don't believe that this is the Word of God, if you don't believe that this is the final authority and this is what it's speaking as you read, we might as well stop now. It's the same as for the people Amos was preaching to. 
They didn't believe that this was God's message. It was over before it even began. Amos rises up, thus says the Lord, in his world. Amos rises up, thus says the Lord, in his society. Amos rises up, thus says the Lord, in his culture of God's people who have have spiraled into a spiritual decay. And their generations reflect that. One generation, two generations, they're on the, the third generation after the last king. Generations who are happy in their sin. And this is where it starts getting harsher and more pointed. Who are happy in their sin. Happy living in their sin. Happy making up their own rules for life. Happy destroying what faith looks like in their country. Generations denying that there's an eternity that they will answer for. Thus says the Lord, final authority. This is God speaking. Amos is delivering these judgments knowing, having seen, God has shown him that in two generations, two generations would see his people in slavery. Amos is delivering this message having seen, God has shown him And in two generations, His people will be in bondage if they continue living in this direction. But that's not the worst part. Again, we're back to the flames of hell are waiting for His countrymen. The flames of hell are waiting for for, for members of His family, for His friends who are rejecting God. And you can picture that being threaded through Amos' message to these people. Thus says the Lord, authority. Thus says the Lord, there's pleading. Thus says the Lord, there's an earnest. You need to listen to this. Which is why God addresses the truth that we pretend not to know. Right? And these things, we know these truths. In verse 4, let's just read it. Verse 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. One, because they have despised the law of the Lord. Secondly, and have not kept His commandments. Thirdly, their lies lead them astray. Lies which their fathers followed. What's the result? But I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Judah is in trouble. I don't even want to get into Israel. And that's the, that's the next three verses. That's just in a disgusting, deplorable state before God. But Judah is in trouble. Why? Why is in Judah in trouble? Why is there a punishment coming on Judah? We have to take because they had despised the law of the Lord. Right? It makes you pause and think that word "despised" in the Hebrew. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I look up in my commentaries and, and my concordance, and it says they've cast it away. They've cast away the law of the Lord. Now, I don't want you to picture this morning this violently packing up your, your, your Bible and throwing it. I don't think that's what's talking about. Because we know whenever you cast away the law of the Lord, it looks more like this. And you set it on a shelf. Or you set it aside. Or you, or you stick it somewhere. And eventually there, it's not even, not even crossing your mind. 
Some harsh things to consider this morning when I think of, of because they had cast aside, despised the law of the Lord, God does not close His Word. Right? He doesn't. Don't pretend that we don't know it. God does not close His Word. You do. Right? God's people were, were setting, casting aside God's Word. God does not silence His voice. Your heart does. Our heart. My heart does. Right? It doesn't want to hear. It's deceitfully and wicked. It doesn't want to hear what God has to say to me. So the Word is closed. It's cast aside. It's for God. Our lives reflect that. Don't pretend not to know what this means. Why was Judah in trouble? The second part of that is they have not kept His commandments. I'm not a brain surgeon, but I wrote this down. You cannot live in obedience if you're not reading what you're supposed to obey. Does that make sense this morning? You cannot live in obedience if you're not reading what you're supposed to obey. I'm a tradesman. I can't build something up to code if I don't know the code book. Right? It doesn't make sense. And yet, yet for generations, for hundreds of years, God's people have tried. Or they make the attempt. We know it doesn't work. You cannot live in obedience when you're not reading what you're supposed to obey. This morning, when your life seems as though it's spinning out of control and this book is closed, God's commandments are not being read. Point blank. What do you expect? When you're looking and there's lives around you and it's spinning out of control and this book is closed, what do you expect? Amos is bringing a thus says the Lord and they have no interest. The Word of God is despised. It's cast aside. They're not keeping the commandments. And it leads us to the third point of that. Their lies lead them astray. That's in plain English as I read it. I know it was written in Hebrew. Um, but now as I read it, this is plain English. Their lies lead them astray. Easy peasy. They were listening to their own lies. They were listening to their own excuses. Right? And, and, and then from there, it has me, has me reflected in the quiet moments of, of, of my office. They were making up their own rules when it came to living before God, and it was not going to go well for them. Accepted excuses in our life. And, and please understand, this is personal first. Right? Many accepted excuses when it comes to time in God's Word. I don't read. That's a very, very prominent one. I've been there. Accepted excuses in our life. Work as priority. It's out of my hands. I need the money. I have no choice. Right? Well, we do. We do have a choice. Church attendance. Let's be honest. There's a million reasons why we aren't in these seats. There's a million reasons to pull us away. Accepted excuses. Their lies lead them astray. I'm going to keep going. Common law marriage. 
Right? That's another accepted excuse of today. Being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Accepted excuse, accepted lie that, that is nowhere found in Scripture condones. Not tithing. Alcohol. Right? The list goes on. Why are we battling with these things? The Word of God does not say that they're okay. Their lies lead them astray. Now this morning, I want you to understand, I know because I've been there. I've played with these sins. I've, I, I've, I, I, I've been through these things knowing that I was not spiritually okay with God, but somehow fooling myself to think that I could be on both sides of this plumb line. Somehow fooling myself that I could be on both sides of this measuring line. Which leads us to, to a, a plain Jane truth here this morning. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. And you would have heard it all your life. And if you haven't, well, you're going to hear it first time this morning. We know this verse. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Pretty simple. Let's say it together. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Okay? Don't pretend to not know what that means. You can't walk with God unless you're walking in spiritual agreement with Him. Unless you're walking and following this. God addresses the truth we pretend not to know. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? No. Plain English, do not say, do not say that you are walking with God if you are disobeying His commands. Right? That's pretty. Do not say that you're walking with God if you're disobeying His commands. Plain English. Do not think this morning that you are walking with God when you are living in sin. Don't think it's okay. Right? Can two, can two walk in agreement? Let me read that again. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Do not pretend that you are walking with God when you are not. Right? The answer is no. And for some reason, this basic message has always been lost on people who know better. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? God addresses the truth. We pretend not to know. A couple more harsh things. And again, this is a, a book of, of judgment with the picture of, of looking to Christ. Turn, repent. The forgiveness is there. God is there. Harsh thoughts to consider this morning. Um, these are original to me, and as I wrote them, I was like, man, Lord, really? Harsh thing to consider, number one. When you don't need God, you're a pagan. Does that make sense? When you, when you have reached a place in your life where you don't need God, you're a pagan. Now, and... and, and we can get into all that. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to discussions. When you don't spend time with God, you live like a pagan. Right? It, it, it seems pretty simple. When you do not sincerely love God, and this is where it, it comes down to, this is between you and the Lord, you know if you've truly placed your faith in Christ. You know if you've come to that place where you recognize that you're a sinner. 
You've, you've heard the Word of God. You understand that Lord Jesus Christ came. He was born in a manger, lived a sinless life, and willingly went to the cross because there was only one way that could pay for sin, and that was His death. It was His blood on the cross. And you've, you know, you and the Lord know, if you've, you've made that decision, you've asked for forgiveness, you've placed your faith in Christ, and you know if that Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You know that. But you also know if you haven't. You know if the Spirit of God does not dwell within you. You know if you're not moved. You know if you're not seeking to grow. You know if there's that spiritual separation still. You know if you're not walking together in agreement with God. Becoming a pagan culture doesn't happen over generations. It happens from within a generation. What I mean by that is this. The instant, the moment we begin trying to combine, the moment we try to combine what I want to do, the moment we try and combine how I want to live, the moment we, we combine how I want to feel in this life into some sort of warped, twisted, perverted idea of what a relationship with God can look like, you begin creating a pagan religion. You begin following Israel's example. You begin creating a pagan religion. I say pagan because it's not of God. It's not holy. It has nothing to do with God. It's what I want. It's how I want to feel. It's what I want my life to look like. You begin creating a pagan religion that you will follow. Your family will follow. Your future family will follow. And the people around you will follow. When God is no longer holy and you're no longer in agreement, when God is no longer holy so that you do not have to be, you have begun your descent just like Israel had. Even harsher than that, and again, we are surrounded this morning. We are surrounded by pagans who think that they are believers. How do I say that? How can I come to that conclusion? Because their lives reflect that. We are surrounded by pagans who think they are believers. Their life decisions declare it, which is why we shake our heads at the things that they do, asking the question, how can they do that and still believe in God? What does Amos 3 verse 3 say? Can two walk together? unless they are agreed? Don't pretend that we don't know what that means this morning. This should make the Gospel, sharing the Gospel, an imperative in our lives. This should wake us up to how quick the Gospel needs to be on our lips at all times. God addresses the truths we pretend not to know. Amos pleads 
with the people to stop pretending that everything is okay. Right? The book, and, and I encourage you, I think it took me about 12 minutes to read through. It, 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 stop pretending that everything is spiritually okay in here. Stop pretending everything is spiritually okay in this circle. Stop pretending that everything is spiritually okay in the bigger circle. It's not. Amos preaches repentance. Words like let justice return. Stop acting like everything is okay while living this way. Repent and return to the Lord. Right? Repent and return. The grace is there. Repent and get your heart right. Start doing. You have the standard. Right? You have what God expects. Don't pretend that you don't. Amos pushes them to return to the Lord. Pushes them to be restored. <laughs> this message is going into the Holy Land, which should just, right? It, it, the message needs to be proclaimed. Be restored to the Lord through our churches, through our evangelical communities. Be restored for some to be saved, right? You can't live this way and say you have a relationship with God. His, his message was going, okay, you're not spiritually okay, you need to get saved. For the others, look to Christ. Stop living this double-minded lifestyle. This morning, we need to remember that God's judgment is final. There is an end that we will all come to. Right? We were looking at that in prayer meeting. There is an end that we will all come to and the things will be played out. There is an end that we will all come to and things will be answered for. This morning we need to remember, can two walk together unless they are agreed? The answer is no. And don't pretend this morning that you don't know what that means. I'm going to give a challenge this morning, and uh, we could spend all afternoon just keep going through this book. I'm going to give you a challenge this morning that comes with accountability. Okay? Because we are all, or we can get very good at fooling ourselves with what we think we believe and with what we think our relationship with God looks like. So this morning, I want to challenge you over dinner, over the next meal that you eat as you've got family and friends or even, even by yourself. I want you to share with the people that you're with okay, two things. Right? Just, just over a meal, over coffee, over tea. Two things. The first being when you placed your faith in Christ. That should be just a, a, an easy, easy thing. Just when did you place your faith in Christ? It doesn't have to be complicated. But secondly, I want you to share over that meal with the person beside you, the family that you're with, how you feel God is working in your life. How you feel God is working in your life or how you know that you are in spiritual agreement with God. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? This should be a very simple, easy thing for each of us if we are walking in agreement with Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't have to be long. If you are walking in agreement, it should be quick on your lips. It should be, should be an easy thing. But this morning, if you can't share these things, if there is any kind of awkwardness when it comes to sharing your, your, your faith, 
sharing there what God is doing in your life, do not pretend to not know why. Don't pretend you don't know why that is awkward and hard. Last part from a pastor, from a shepherd, if it's awkward, if it's hard, if you can't do that, come and see me. Come and see me. There is a peace that God promises. There is a peace that God desires for each of us, for each of you. Don't pretend any longer. Come see me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much for these pages of Scripture. Lord, we thank You so much for how You speak through them. Lord, these, these truths, these eternal truths have, have spoken to, to lives hundreds, thousands of years, Lord. And they're all geared to directing us to Yourself. Lord, You desire a special, precious spiritual relationship with each of us, Lord. But we know it's not easy. We know it takes work. We know it's of You, Lord. But You bring us together as a body of Christ to work through these things. And I pray this morning, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know if they have that spiritual life You promise, is there anyone here this morning that's maybe wrestling or struggling? If there's anyone here this morning that maybe recognizes that silence that has been going on for some time. Lord, I pray that they reach out. They come, come to myself. They come to another trusted friend in this beautiful family of God you have here. Lord, I pray that not another day goes by where there's pretending. And Lord, maybe even just as we're, we're singing this last song, Lord, I pray that you would lead in our hearts uh, you know I'm not familiar with altar calls, Lord, and I don't know how, how comfortable our church family would be with that. But Lord, you have brothers and sisters right next, next to each other. Lord, if there's someone that's being moved, questions that are coming up, I pray that they would not wait till later. They would, they would ask, hey, can I talk to you later? They would reach out for that help. And I just pray that you would move Move in each of our lives to understand, Lord, how, how precious this thing is. We just thank You, Lord Jesus, in Your precious name. Amen.